0: Good afternoon, everybody. So, we're continuing our sermon series in the book of John, Gospel of John. So please turn to John chapter 3, and we'll be starting in verse 22. And please stand. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Please give ear to it. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth, And speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Would you join me in prayer? Our dear Father, Lord, we confess that we are sinners, that we are easily deceived by the world, and the flesh, and the devil. We pray that that would not be so. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit now to listen to you attentively, to believe, believe your word. To repent and to believe and to obey you today we thank you and we pray this in Christ's name amen have a seat so have you ever felt overshadowed by somebody else maybe you felt that way like when a younger sibling was born or maybe when a boyfriend or girlfriend dumped you for someone else or perhaps when your coworker, your coworker got um, became a supervisor instead of you, they got a promotion. How did you feel? Now, in such situations, what's the normal response? We tend to not like it. Of course, we resent it, don't we? We resent other people taking the attention from us. We want to be in the center of the spotlight. So when someone takes that from us, we often want to regain the spotlight somehow, regain the attention, and make that person look bad. Don't we? That is our sinful human nature. Now in today's passage, John the Baptist, he kind of had a similar situation of sorts. Now If you think about John, he was the center of attention for a while there. Because he is the final prophet of the old covenant. And he was delivering an ultimatum to Israel. And saying, the kingdom is at hand. Therefore, repent. You must repent. So the spotlight was upon him for a a brief moment there. He's saying, the, the kingdom is coming. The Messiah is coming. So, people were looking at him. People were flocking to the desert to check him out, to hear him preach, and to have him baptize them. So, he's the big attraction in a sense. But now we have a new guy on the scene. In fact, the kingdom had arrived, Christ had come, his ministry had begun. And interestingly, Jesus doesn't go someplace else, but he goes in the, kind of the same basic geographical area as John the Baptist. Hmm. And he starts doing the same thing, baptizing. Now we'll read in the next chapter, it wasn't actually Jesus himself who was doing the baptizing, it was his disciples. But it's interesting, isn't it? So, for this reason, we might expect that John would become a little bit jealous. A little jealous of Jesus. Um, and it seems this was the case with his disciples. Some of John's disciples. They get in an argument here. Seems like they want to defend John, their leader. And so they come to John to see what he would say about. Jesus coming in the same area and doing the same thing, baptizing. But, of course, John's response was, I don't think it was what they were expecting at all. His response was different. In fact, he welcomed Jesus' ministry. He fully welcomed it and made clear that he would be getting out of the way. Getting out of the way so as not to obscure the glory of the ministry of Christ that Jesus was to be the one who is to be exalted, far above him. So in this way, John the Baptist, he represents the attitude that all who proclaim the gospel should have, and all, in fact, all believers should have. So this is the main theme we see in today's passage. The coming of the kingdom necessarily humbles man, and exalts Christ, humbles man and exalts Christ. So first of all, in verses 22 to 26, see that the coming of the kingdom humbles partisans and exalts Christ as the head of the church. Let's read from verse 22 again. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, And was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look. He is baptizing, and all are going to him. So we're told that both John and then Jesus were baptizing in the Judean countryside. It says Anon near Salim. Now, we're not exactly sure where that is these days, but it seems to have been um, an area where there is small little streams that were feeding into the Jordan, because you remember that John had been, his mystery had been at the Jordan River previously. And that's that's where Jesus was baptized. Right? But it seems like, if we want to try to reconstruct what happened behind the scenes, um, some a lot of commentators say it seems like that the Jordan River probably had gotten muddy. You know how rivers, they get muddy during the springtime. And Baptism needs clean water. <laughs> it would not be very good for the symbolism if the water was muddy and dirty. So it seems like that's why they moved over there. Now, my good Baptist friends make a lot of big deal out of this first year, 23, that there's plentiful water there. So they say, well, it had to be immersion. Now, As Presbyterians, we don't really care too much because we're fine with immersion, actually. Uh, But we see later in the Bible that um, there were baptisms that happened in houses. And at Pentecost, it would have been really hard for them to immerse all those people uh, near the temple area. And also, they actually left the area where there was deeper water, which is the Jordan River, and went out to these small little streams that were feeding it. So it's... Quite possible that they actually, it wasn't deep enough to actually immerse people there. But I think a better translation here is actually that there are, not that the water was plentiful like it was deep, but that there are many streams. So, at any rate, they're having a bit of an argument about baptism, like we like to do sometimes these days as well, uh, between John's disciples and it just says some Jew, doesn't say who it is. Well, what was the argument about exactly? Well, it's, it's quite possible that this Jew was saying, well, we already have some purification rituals in Judaism, and baptism should be for people, Gentile converts, who are becoming Jewish, whereas I'm already a Jew, so I don't have to be baptized. It's maybe what he was saying. And then he might have also said, well, look, John is baptizing, but now that wasn't enough. Now someone else, Jesus, is baptizing too. And so John's disciples come and they're like, well, what should we say about this? Seems like Jesus is stealing your thunder. And so it seems like they were a bit jealous. Now John himself, previously we know, he had testified very strongly about Who Jesus is. He said that he is not worthy to even untie the strap of Christ's sandal. You remember that? But it seems like his followers, John's disciples, hadn't really understood the message completely. They seem to be functionally exalting John over Christ. We know that this is a sin that mankind is especially prone to. and we look at politics today, uh, there's a lot of party spirit, right? Democrats hate the Republicans. The Republicans hate the Democrats. And when that happens, when there's these arguments, the truth often is put to the side. And what is most important often gets left to the side. So... In this way, there have been many sects that have been created by putting fallible human leaders, exalting them, lifting them up. Now in Korea, we have many cults, don't we? Uh, Shincheonji, Mother God cult. They have their leaders that they've lifted up. Human, sinful leaders that they've lifted up, put in the place of Christ. But the Bible teaches that Christ alone is the head of the church. Colossians 1 verse 18 says, And he, that's Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So when we don't put Christ in his rightful place as the head of the church, this is when disunity often occurs because we sinfully exalt human leaders in his place. It's the human heart, human condition, human nature, is we need a leader of some sort. So if Christ doesn't take preeminence in our hearts, other human leaders tend to take that spot. And we can look at church history, and it's sad. We see lots of disunity, schisms, and they generally occur as a group exalts, a man to such an extent that takes he takes their attention away from Christ, and especially as Protestants, and we celebrate the Reformation Day, we think about the Pope. The Pope has been exalted to a place, a spot, a position that he should never have been, and this even led the Roman Church to deny to deny that we are saved that we are justified, accepted by God, by faith alone, not by our own merit. But there are other less obvious ways where we can become jealous followers of imperfect men. So in a lot of churches, sometimes one pastor is elevated to a very high level by people, and then when he his ministry stops for some reason, then people are left kind of rudderless, without bearing. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to do next. And I think in our own Reformed churches, we can sometimes uh, have a tendency to elevate people, uh, human ministers, too highly sometimes. I think of John Calvin, I think he would actually be horrified to know that there's a group of people that call themselves Calvinists and consider themselves pridefully better than others because they're Calvinists. And of course, we want to stand firmly on the doctrines of grace. But John Calvin did not invent reformed biblical doctrine. So this brings us to our second point. The coming of the kingdom humbles ministers and exalts Christ as the bridegroom. Look at verse 27. It says, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom.'" The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. We know that the Bible teaches that Christ, not only is he the head of the church, but he is the bridegroom. And the church is the bride, and this especially comes from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, because Jesus Christ is the groom of the church, that means need to be very careful that we not steal the affection of the church away from him as the groom and John Calvin in his commentary talks about this he said for as he who marries a wife does not call and invite his friends to the marriage in order to prostitute the bride to them or by giving up his own rights to allow them to partake with him of the nuptial bed but rather that the marriage being honored by them may be rendered more sacred. So Christ does not call his ministers to the office of teaching in order that by conquering the church, they may claim dominion over it, but that he may make use of their faithful labors by associating them with himself. So this principle is actually violated whenever A minister focuses his ministry upon anything else but Jesus Christ. Anything else than Jesus Christ as he's displayed in the word of God, in the law and the gospel. Now, I was talking with Pastor Yu recently. We had our presbytery meeting. And he told me about uh, a pastor, an older pastor in Korea who's retiring. Retiring recently and This pastor, he had spent many years focusing on political causes, political issues. And he had kind of put that at the center of his ministry. And now that he's retiring, his church, many of the members, even though it was not a large church, but many of the members were leaving now because he was leaving and so it seems sadly that this is what happens, especially if, if a minister does not focus on the word of God, on the gospel, on Christ. And then if you focus on something else, then that is why the people come come to that church, you see. And so when that pastor leaves, then the church just crumbles because it wasn't founded upon the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel. So rather than trying to steal the bride, we see John the Baptist here, he decreased. He decreased his ministry in order that the ministry of Christ could increase. And here he says, seeing Jesus finally come and begin his ministry and baptizing and preaching, as he saw that John says his joy was complete. It was complete to finally see what he had looked forward to for so long. He yearned to see. And he talks about it in terms of this seeing his friend uh, get married, right? Now recently I've had the great joy of seeing my own friends get married. Especially think of going to uh, Alex and Lee's weddings. And yes. It brings you a great joy as your friend, good friend, to see them get married, right? And likewise, as we see people come to Christ, truly come to Christ, be born again, as it talks about earlier in this chapter, right? And be united with him. That should bring us great joy, great joy in our hearts, a lot of us, we've been paying attention to uh, maybe listen to this new album by Kanye West, right? Christ is King. And now I don't know for sure if he's truly a Christian. I sincerely hope so. But boy, is he praising the Lord in that album. And it just brings me great joy to listen to that. This brings us to our third point. The, the coming of the kingdom humbles earthly ways and exalts the spirit bearer look at verse 31 says he who comes from above is above all he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way he who comes from heaven is above all he bears witness to what he has seen and heard yet no one receives his testimony whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this that god is true It talks here about earthly ways. Earthly ways of speaking. It says they're insufficient to know heavenly truth. There are many earthly ways of salvation. The world is talking and putting out false gospels constantly. Different ways of having, being saved. They may not put it that way, but that's what it is. And here it says it's insufficient because they did, there's only one who came from heaven. Jesus Christ is the only one who brought the message from heaven. And it says further that he received the Spirit without measure. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of prophets and kings who received the spirit, but not without measure, right? Think of the book of Judges. The spirit would rush upon Samson and he would kind of go crazy, (laughs) do something. Um, But here, Jesus Christ, it says, he received the spirit without measure. And that's why he is uniquely qualified to save us and to testify to the truth concerning salvation. So Jesus Christ is the eternal Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. And yet he conducted his earthly ministry as a man empowered by the Spirit. He is the chief bearer of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus uh, authoritatively (laughs) utters the words of God, calling his bride, the church, to full communion. With him. So, as a spirit bearer, it says the Father gave all things into his hands. All things into his hands. I think that is an amazing statement. Now, I want you to remember this verse the next time you're going through a difficult situation. Jesus Christ has all things in his hand, even right now. He's in perfect control of your life. And so you must not worry. But rather, we must come to Christ alone in order to receive eternal life. So you think about the water. The water in this city of Seoul. Where does it come from? It all ultimately kind of comes from the Han River. And then makes its way out to our houses in the pipes. And similarly, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to us through Jesus Christ as we're united to him. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty five it says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Christ is exalted, especially when we believe, when we trust in him. We put our faith in him. But what are we to believe in particular? It's not some vague, general thing. What do we believe? How do we believe in here? Well, it talks here about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is something very serious. The wrath of God is the Lord's holy and his righteous hatred of the wicked. And you know that, You and I, we deserve the wrath of God deeply. We deserve it. And yet it says here, instead of the wrath of God, that if you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. Notice the tense there. It's not that you will have eternal life, although that's true, but you presently possess possess eternal life. And that's amazing. But there's only two options. Either you believe and you receive eternal life now, the only other option is that the wrath of God remains on you. And there's a parallelism there because the wrath of God, if you do not repent and believe in Christ, the wrath of God remains on you eternally, forever in hell. So it is the most momentous thing in the world. So church, as, as we've seen, the coming of the kingdom, it humbles man and it exalts Christ. So in this way, we are called to lift up Jesus as the head, as the bridegroom, and as the spirit bearer. So I want to ask you today, are you willing to give up your pride? Are you willing to give up your pride in your own group, so that instead Jesus can be lifted up and exalted? Are you willing to give up your own status so that Christ can be exalted and lifted up? And are you willing to give up earthly false ways of salvation so that Christ's spiritual salvation can be exalted, lifted up, So in sum, are you willing to decrease so that he may increase? So in closing, hear these words from Philippians 2. It says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father let's pray your father lord we thank you for your word we thank you for our lord Jesus Christ father we ask forgiveness for the times then that we have lifted and exalted up ourselves our own concerns, our earthly loves above Christ. Father, we pray that this church, by your Holy Spirit, that we be empowered to lift up Jesus, to praise him, to exalt him before the world. We pray this in his name. Amen.